0: From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. And here we are rocketed on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard around the world as a podcast and right here in Southern Colorado on the radio, 91.7 KLZ, our voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. My name is Matt West. I am your automotively enthused talk show host today, and uh, that sounded a little weirder than it sounded in my head. Regardless, we have a packed show for you. I'm going to discuss automotive security methods after my beloved AMC Hornet was stolen a couple of weeks ago. We're going to talk about how a land speed record legend has passed away. We're going to look at some of his legacy. We're going to talk about that and your car sounds on this week's edition of the show now before we uh, get into some of that stuff i do want to thank all of my listeners who sent their condolences in on the facebook page facebook.com slash automotive adhd you may recall last week we discussed the tragic loss of my 77 american motors hornet and uh, i read a, i even read a eulogy for the car as well uh it was a, it was a really heartfelt moment it was uh it was really a, a tender moment on the show. And if you if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. It is uh, worth your time. Um, that being said, I received several messages, all of which were very kind from probably half a dozen, if not more, listeners just in the past week um, saying that they were very sad that the Hornet was lost um, and that, uh, that they will forever think about it uh, in a loving, fond way. Despite the fact I haven't really had it on the show very much, but regardless, what can I say? So I do want to thank my listeners for sending those kind thoughts into the show. Now, you can also send in, if you wish, your condolences, but uh, I would rather, you know, hey, let's <laughs> let's move on here. If you would like to send your car sounds into the show, the Facebook page is the place to do that, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. I play them on the show. We are going to hear more of your car sound submissions as well uh, during this episode here and uh, now we've got we've got a handful of things here to uh, talk about. Now you may be aware that the uh, New York Auto Show uh happened this this past week and there were some interesting cars there no less. There were definitely some interesting vehicles. There were some not so interesting vehicles and I just want to give you a quick recap here over some of the um interesting things at the show and a uh, hat tip to Wesley Wern from uh, Auto Week. Uh, for spotting some of these and uh, firstly the uh the Jeep Wrangler is getting a facelift I don't know how you facelift a vehicle that hasn't really changed much in 75 80 years but you can you absolutely can and they did so the jeep gets a slightly revised grill with kind of a matte black insert in the middle um, they also uh updated the interior of it gets a bigger touchscreen gets the new UConnect 5 as opposed to UConnect. 4 it seems to make sense. It's in chronological order. Um, and no one really cares about the touchscreen. I'm sorry. If you like cars, you don't really care about the touchscreen in there, <laughs> but that's the big news. Hey, it's got a new touchscreen. Um, the good news here, and this is good, a good news if you're a fan of the V8, which uh, I'm assuming every one of my listeners is an unyielding fan of the V8 platform, uh, and that is that the Rubicon 392 version of the Wrangler is staying for the 2024 model year, which is uh, which is very good news because I was worried. You know, I was even thinking, God, it's, it's, it's cool that they made a V8 Wrangler, but is it going to be around long? We don't know. Yes, it is. That's the answer there. Uh, now, moving on from Jeep. Um, Genesis, otherwise known as Hyundai, uh, made an EV concept. Nobody cares. It's an EV. Hyundai, slightly cheaper than Genesis, but still Hyundai, has a EV. Nobody cares. Volkswagen makes another SUV. Nobody cares. <laughs> um, Subaru makes a new Crosstrek that looks like the old Crosstrek. So, yeah, nobody cares. Moving on. Uh, the only thing of interest that I did see here is the Ram 1500 Rev. We got to see some more stuff on it. They released some specs on the Ram 1500 Rev as well. The Rev is their EV Ram pickup truck, even though it can't rev because it has no engine. So they've. I've talked about this on the show before, but they named it something that it can't do. But regardless, um, they're saying it's going to have a 14,000-pound towing capacity. Um, That's fine. And they're saying uh, 500 miles of battery range on it. Probably not while towing 14,000 pounds, though, I should clarify, because that's how EVs work right now. We haven't quite figured out towing with EVs so much. So anyway, that being said, I think it's, uh, we, we did see some interesting things and <sighs> EVs, that's that's it. Jeep got a new grill and there's some EVs. And yeah, Dodge did bring out the new Demon, the really fancy new Demon, the, you know, over thousand horsepower one. So uh, that that's cool too. I like that. I do like that. I don't know if I like the Ram Rev, but that new, uh, that new Demon, pretty good. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, tune into last week's show on the podcast. Now coming up, we got more
1: right here. In these trying times, the Speed Council needs your support. Well, mostly your money. All right, just the money. Join our Patreon today at thespeedcouncil.org to get exclusive benefits when you support automotive ADHD.
0: Right here we are, rocketed on the Automotive ADHD Show. Thank you for tuning into the best car show. In fact, the only car show, at least on this radio station. So I guess it it wins by default. Go go, go figure there. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars. And um, I gotta give a quick shout out here because we have a winner for this month's car sound of the month. And uh, that should be clear this month's Car Sound. But we we do have a winner. Now, before we discuss the winner, remember that you can support this show by becoming a member of the Speed Council. Yeah, the Speed Council is a wonderful organization. It is an organization that supports this show. And uh, I think that uh, if you want to have more of this show, if you want to have this show early, in fact, you're watching this show right now, just know that members of the Speed Council got this show before you did. Yeah, early access, early access, you can become a member of the Speed Council, we're also going to be uh, reworking a little bit of the subscription tiers for the Speed Council coming up, so I think you're really going to like this, it's going to benefit current members of the Speed Council um, more, and it's also going to uh, maybe entice New members to join as well. Give new members some perks. And I like that. So uh remember you can support this show and you can do that at the speedcouncil.org. Again, that's thespeedcouncil.org. If you miss the, the the, the the at the beginning of that website, it'll take you so it'll take you somewhere else. It takes you like to like a college or something. But no, no that's the wrong speed council. You want this speed council, and uh yeah, check that out. Um now, this month's Car Sound of the Month winner. Sent in some interesting sounds, and uh, I I really I really like what they did because I, I'm gonna play I, uh, I'm gonna play their car sound here. They're gonna know who this who they are, but let me just just humor me for a second. I know I could have played it during the open of this segment, but just we're gonna we're, we're gonna play it more than once. <laughs> okay, so that car—well, it's not a car actually. It's not a car. That sound belongs to uh, Evan Osborne, who sent in his tractor. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, his—and—and uh, in, in here, this is—you'll—you'll you'll get a kick out of this if you know tractors. I don't. I—I I, I had to—I uh, had to look this up. But uh, that is Evan Osborne's 2007. K or CK 20 tractor. That's a three cylinder diesel uh, putting out a staggering 22 horsepower Two 22, 22, two whole horsepowers. Um, and uh, of course, diesel torque and horsepower. Um, and I think this is a first. I think this is a first on the uh, on the show, because I don't think I have ever played a tractor sound on the show because it's it's not a motive show. It's not like not not tractor motive ADHD. It's it's automotive ADHD. But uh, that being said, um, Evan sent tractor sounds in and that makes me uh, that makes me very happy. (laughs) I don't know why. So if uh, if you were worried, if you say, you know, man, he plays these car sounds and it's always these guys with like fast cars or whatever, uh, no, no, just just know that if you send it in, it'll probably make it onto the show. I've I've played sounds of people blowing their engines up, too. So uh, my standards are really low. Then again, honestly, I think it's an honor that we got to have a tractor sound. On the show now, Evan. You also sent in some other car sounds. Evan has a Chevy Monza, which uh, we're going to play that one next week. I just really wanted to do. I wanted to get the tractor sound in there. I mean, I'm just saying. I wanted to get that in there. So, uh, too good, too good. I uh, I love it. Now, Evan, what you win is not only do you win the automotive ADHD. Uh, you already have a sticker, I believe. I was sending out stickers for the uh, month of March and April. If you send car sounds in, you do get a sticker just for free. It's if you send them in, send them in with your address. Uh, when you send that address in, though, don't post that address publicly in the comments section on the Facebook page. Uh, private message that to me. But that being said, if you send a car sound in, in the, we'll do it through the month of April here, I'll send out stickers. So Evan already has a sticker, but... Evan is also going to win, and I'm holding it up here for the camera for viewers on YouTube and Rumble, uh, but you can hear it if you're listening on audio. The automotive ADHD keychain, which does not include these keys on it. These belong to my Tacoma. You can't have those, but uh, you do get this nice embroidered keychain. It's a key tag. It's really useful. I love it because it helps me dig my keys out of my pocket. Uh, also, it's handy if you your keys slip into the couch or something. You see the little tag sticking out representing this show so you'll say oh yeah that's the podcast i listen to and then you'll still forget that your keys are there but that being said i'm going to send this out and a 25 dollar auto parts store gift card and i don't know if that auto parts store gift card is going to be very useful for the tractor but it should be useful at least um for for your car, Evan. So uh your your Chevy Monza, which like I said, we'll 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 play that car sound uh uh next week. So uh but yeah, congratulations Evan. Thank you for sending your car or er, uh, tractor sounds into the show. And of course, uh next month we will do a drawing for the keychain and the gift card. Uh but again, remember if you send those car sounds in during this month, I'll send you a sticker. And the sticker's pretty cool. If you're watching on video, it's on the back of my uh Laptop right there. So you can you can see that pretty clearly. So uh, very cool stuff. Facebook.com slash ADHD is the place to do it. Now, uh, I want to talk about, um, before we get into some of the other things on the show, the EPA. And another reason why I believe that we must defund the EPA. Uh, because, so uh, coming up here on April 12th um, is uh the uh, the EPA allegedly is going to announce new restrictions on cars and more emissions and it makes me wonder i mean you, you think about how efficient cars are now you think about uh you know how clean cars are now um how how can they get cleaner i don't know the EPA just here's what the EPA does so but, uh, before I even talk about that. So what they're going to do, they are drafting, um, and hat tip here to James Gilboy from The Drive, uh, who reports that the EPA is drafting the highest automotive emission standards in U.S. history. Um, And this is going to go into, it's going to be for vehicles 2027 through 2032. And um, they expect that, uh, it is at least uh, speculated uh, because, again, this is uh, I'm doing this show before April 12th. If you're listening on the radio, you know that. But if you're listening on the podcast, you might be listening to it after April 12th. Uh, that's the beauty of the podcast, by the way. But that being said, um, they are going to add unspecified emission controls. They're not saying what yet, but they're saying it's going to be like ones that are already used in Europe and specifically China. Uh, and that could include gasoline particulate filters. Um, and uh, that is also... Uh, they're saying that uh, heavy truck emissions guidelines are also expected to be updated as well on that, uh, that same day there. And uh, g- particulate filters for gas cars. I mean, diesel vehicles have particulate filters already. Um, and, and I mean, we especially know with diesel vehicles, uh, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not a diesel technician. Diesel is kind of witchcraft to me, but uh, I just know it makes a lot of torque and it sounds cool. Um, and it doesn't use spark plugs. That's that's my diesel knowledge right there. Um, and uh, but that being said, you know i I think that yeah, you see diesel trucks that roll coal, quote unquote, roll coal, and that's often when they're dumping extra fuel. Uh, into the combustion chamber, and it's unburnt, and it's coming out in the form of that black smoke. And so, yeah, you can technically do that with gasoline, too. I I have seen that. If a vehicle is running exceptionally rich, really fat, you can get black smoke that comes out of it, not quite on the same level of diesel. So, yes, I get technically there are particulates in gasoline, and gasoline can be in a form of a particulate if it's not burnt completely. But a well running vehicles should be burning all of that. Ga- you should just be getting actual gases coming out of the exhaust, uh, the the byproduct of combusting the gasoline, rather. You should be getting that rather than particulates if your vehicle's running well. And I mean, already your catalytic converters are grabbing all that the toxic fumes and other things and doing stuff to it anyway. So to me, it seems like a far stretch to add more particulate filters. What more is there to to, to filter there. I don't know. Um, I would love it if somebody uh, perhaps who is uh, really skilled in emissions equipment came on the show and schooled me on that a little bit. But to my eye, that seems kind of weird. Now, what what this is going to do is it's going to cause um, automakers to try to catch up to these new rules. So what the EPA likes to do, this is how they do it. Um, they come up with the rules before the technology even really exists. They come up with the rules and the guidelines, and they tell the auto manufacturers who say, ah, we can't make that. I don't know how to make that. They say, figure it out. And then that's what they do. That 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 is realistically what they do. Um, and uh, that's often what governments do. And then it leaves the automakers reeling, trying to figure out what to do. Now, obviously, the automakers have... Loads of money, uh, R and stuff like this is not a problem for the automaker. But where it becomes a problem, in my opinion, is at the consumer level because the automaker doesn't want to lose revenue. They don't want to say, "Well, we had to spend this much more money on emissions equipment, and we're just going to eat that." No, the automaker is going to keep their profit margins the same. And if they're including more equipment into the vehicles, then in order to keep their profit margins the same, they must raise the cost of the vehicles. And who does that affect? Does it affect the automaker? No, they're making the same amount of money. They're just having to spend more to make the car. That affects the consumer. I mean, cars categorically are more expensive now than they were in the past, not even just because of inflation. Not even if you account for inflation, cars are just more expensive now because you're oftentimes you're getting more car. Well, granted, there's more safety equipment. Stuff that saves lives, curtain airbags, things like that. But there's also more tech in there. Tech is not cheap, especially after, say, COVID, when we had that chip shortage that really caused the industry to reel for now even a couple years. We're still seeing effects from that. So the point is, um, the EPA is passing these rules that arguably, to me, don't really seem to make sense. Honestly, gas-burning automobiles are very clean these days compared to compared to 30, 40 years ago. Uh, they're very clean. They really are. So they're asking manufacturers to make more tech, to make the cars even cleaner. Arguably, they'll probably rob more power pr- from performance vehicles. I don't know how you can have an inline particulate filter in a sports car and have that not rob power. I, I don't know. But um, also, what this is going to do, perhaps, is I the EPA may have an underlying goal here. And the underlying goal might be to... Uh, it, it might be to push the industry towards EVs. Um, if you think about it, if you think about it, the, e, the EPA wants more EVs. Why do they want more EVs? Hmm, does it have anything to do with different companies who are involved at the EPA? I don't know, I don't know. I Just speculating there. But to me, it seems a little odd. So if they want more EVs for whatever political reason, how are they going to do it? Well, they're going to make producing gas cars more expensive. They're going to make it more expensive to the consumer and they're going to increase the barrier of entry for which auto manufacturers have to conform to in order to sell a vehicle to the public. Um, this is not even to mention the fact that the EPA is still actively trying to ban you as the owner of a vehicle converting your car for track use. Um, you know, not street use, taking it apart, you know, taking off the emissions and converting it for track use. Never to see the road again. Bear in mind, that's your property. That's your property registration and rules like that don't apply to a car that's track use only, but the EPA thinks that they can actually make laws and tell you what to do, even though they're not Congress, and Congress passes laws, but the EPA apparently thinks they can right now. So, by the way, the RPM Act, if you uh, if you want to support people who support the RPM Act, you should check out uh, SEMA, and you should check out PRI, the biggest sponsors of the RPM Act, and uh, I haven't talked about it on the show for a few weeks, but also make sure Tell your legislators in your state how you feel about the EPA deciding to make laws and rules about your race cars. Um, Let them know how you feel. Um, The RPM Act, unfortunately, was kind of stopped briefly because the legislative session last year ended before it was passed. So now we got to do a bunch of work to get it kind of back up to where it is going to be. Uh, voted on again. But that being said, support it because uh, it supports your race cars and supporting race cars supports the aftermarket companies that make uh, parts for your streetcar wheels, catback exhausts, things like that, that are EPA legal. Regardless, these companies still could go out of business if their primary source of income racing and making parts for motorsports um, goes under. So uh, that being said, yeah, the EPA needs to be defunded 100 percent. And these new emission standards Again, set, they're saying uh, the, the stat here is 75% stricter uh, by 2030. So, 2027 is when these uh, new rules, we don't know what they are yet, but that's when these new rules are gonna take effect. And then they say by 2020, or 2020, no, 2030, <laughs> 2030 vehicles are gonna be 75% more strict on emissions. Um, and again, if you, you, a lot of people might say, well, yeah, that's good. That's helping the environment, that's doing all of these things. I don't know if it's really doing those things. And I think that the cost to the consumer is going to be uh, difficult, uh, in my opinion. And, um, uh, you know, the EPA has, there are different special interests that, you know, try to, you know, work with the EPA to get certain things, you know, maybe regulated that shouldn't be regulated. And, you It's all government. It's all politics. That's how this stuff works. Um, But that being said, you know, auto manufacturers who make the cars, you know, you have even said in the past too. different manufacturers have said they're not sure about the viability of mass EV conversion, even in the next decade. So making gas cars even more strict and harder and more expensive to sell in a push to make people buy expensive EVs that the infrastructure doesn't exist for. Seems to be a problem, in my opinion. So, not only the fact that the EPA is coming for your race cars and my race cars, as I point towards the S two thousand right there here in the uh, the garage studio or, or whatever. It's a it's a, it's a garage, <laughs> and I'm in it doing a show. But um, but yeah, all the more reason, in my opinion, to uh, to to absolutely defund the EPA. But that being said, um, it's not really. Um, it, it's a lot of Europe, for instance. Uh, The EU has talked about banning gas cars completely by 2035, not even really considering that synthetic and e-fuels and other things might exist by then, but they want to ban them by 2035. There's no word yet that the EPA here in the U.S. is going to do that. But with the way things are going, I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years if the EPA comes along and says, hey, we got these new emission standards. Yeah, never mind. We're actually just going to ban gas cars outright. I wouldn't be surprised. But that, again, is where you need to talk to your legislators. You need to talk to people on the state level who then will go up to the federal level and uh, perhaps strip some of this authority from the EPA that might be a little overreaching. Again, the EPA has a purpose. I'm not advocating that we completely do away with the EPA, Uh, Because it has a purpose. It has a purpose for things outside of the automotive industry. It has a purpose in industrial terms. It has, you know, for people not pouring toxic radioactive waste into streams and, you know, stuff like that. You know, it has a purpose for that. But um, I do feel like it is unfairly targeting the automotive industry, um, which may not even be the biggest concern environmentally, if you're really for the environment. You might want to look at other things that cause problems and not just automobiles in my opinion so I do think the EPA currently um, is uh, currently at least under its its uh, leadership at the moment is not doing anyone anybody not doing anybody favors right now so um, that being said you can um, you can chime in let me know your thoughts on it by checking out the Facebook page facebook.com automotive ADhD that's where you can interact with the show you can also send those car sounds in there so that is gonna be really really cool go check it out now coming up in the next segment we're gonna talk about a legend in land speed racing he just passed away and we're gonna look at his legacy that's coming up next
1: Got a hot ride? Let everyone hear that horsepower on the Automotive ADHD Show. Just head on to Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD, leave a like, and submit your car sounds. Best of all, get a special as heard on the Automotive ADHD Show sticker when you participate through the month of April. Show us what you got at Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD and rev those engines up for the world to hear.
0: Oh man, I, I can't get enough of it. I love it. I love it again. Those car sounds from Evan Osborne. Well, car sounds. I caught myself tr- tractor sounds, tractor sounds. There we go. Um. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If you have another, if you have tractor sounds, why don't we make this a thing? Send those tractor sounds in too. I'd love for this to become a trend. I, I, I would love for that. So uh there we go. You are listening to the automotive ADHD show. It's right here on 91.7 KLZ, our voice of the wet mountain valley. Also available as a podcast. It is available on the internet too. In video. Yeah, in Living Color YouTube and rumble two different video platforms you can look it up subscribe to the show on both of them show your support there we definitely have uh we've got a much bigger listener base on audio than uh, we do on video right now so if you're listening on audio go check it out feel free to subscribe to it as well on those video platforms and see the show. And for better or for worse, you can look at my face while I'm talking. Actually, that I probably shouldn't say that because that'll make no one, no one will want to do that. <laughs> but you can you can do that. You can see it. It's very cool. And uh, you share it with your friends as well. So, um, oh, and you can also give the show a rating on Spotify too. That is very cool. You can do that. Five stars. I hear you can also rate it on um, Apple Podcasts as well. So, uh, why not give that a rating? Blow it up with six stars. Make them add a sixth one there. So um, now I got to talk about Craig Breedlove. You may recognize the name. Um, listeners uh, who have been around uh, for for a while may also recognize that name because uh, Craig Breedlove was an is an absolute legend in motorsports, and well, more or less land speed racing. He did do other motorsports. He did endurance racing and stuff for American Motors uh in the Javelin no less by the way, which is uh, super cool. But he is also famous and for a while in the 1960s and 70s he was a celebrity because he held multiple land speed land speed records. Um his first his first triumph was hitting get this, 407 miles per hour in 1963. Yeah, 1960s tech. He hit 407 miles an hour only to top his own record two years later in 1965 at 600 miles per hour. Um, and uh, the this past week, this legendary, legendary man uh, daredevil, land speed record holder. Uh, he passed away at the age of 86 years. And uh, and he, I mean, this dude did some incredible stuff. Uh, hat tip to Austin Irwin, by the way, from Car and Driver, uh, who put together a list of some of his accomplishments that he did. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and this guy, I mean, this guy lived, by the way. This guy did all the cool stuff. Like, he started out... Um, working as a firefighter and decided that he got bored with that. That wasn't exciting enough. you know going running into burning buildings um, and decided to um, build he, he bought a jet engine um, after the Korean War. Uh, I guess a surplus jet engine just floating around. he bought a jet engine, decided to uh, use some welding skills that he had um, uh, that he had kind of worked on and kind of built, built skills as a welder too. To make a insane jet car. Um, I mean, it's it, well, it's more of like a rocket-looking thing on wheels. It looks like an airplane without wings. Let me put it that way. It looks it looks like an airplane with just no wings and some wheels. That's basically what it is. And um, he's done all sorts of all sorts of incredible stuff. Um, and you know, he was the first person to do 407. Then the first person to do 500 miles an hour. Then the first person to do six. 100 miles an hour and um again reports are saying that he passed away on April 4th by the way but um and and my thoughts go out to his family and all the the people touched by his legacy but i mean this what a legacy still um he also uh was, so his one of his cars was called the spirit of america it was a three-wheeled um again just is an airplane without wings and the the engine by the way general electric J47 turbojet engine um he built this car with a $250,000 budget which is a lot of money for 1960s um and um i mean it's he did this and then he continued to do land speed racing throughout his life he also got a gig working for american motors like i mentioned too uh, racing the Um, The AMX Javelins doing endurance racing with that. I would love to do a show on just the history of American motors when it comes to motorsports. Now, if you want to hear a really comprehensive history of American motors with a man who probably knows the most about it of anyone right now, um, I did do a show with a documentary filmmaker making a documentary about AMC, doing all of the legwork, all of that research on it. Um, and, uh, you can find that by scrolling back in your podcast feed a couple months now. You'll, you'll know when you find it. I am, it is no secret. I am a fan of American motors. I've got a couple of American, well, well I had a couple of American motors products. I still have the Jeep. The Jeep's good. I'm, I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, hopefully I've, I've done a couple things to help that not get stolen. Like my Hornet as well. And, uh, later in the show, we'll, we'll talk about some anti-theft measures that you can do to keep your car from, you know, ending like. Ending up like the Hornet, um, with thieves enjoying it more than you are. But regardless, um, yeah, Breedlove, by the way, Craig Breedlove, he even had a, the dude, like I said, because of some of his achievements back in the 60s, he did become somewhat of a cultural phenomenon, getting endorsements, sponsorships, all these different things. The Beach Boys even wrote a song, name-dropping him. It's a song about Craig Breedlove doing crazy stuff, being the fastest man on the ground, on wheels. I mean, think about that. That's just insane. When you think about land speed racing too, land speed racing is a whole nother realm. I mean, the stuff these guys do, um, you know, going out at the Bonneville Salt Flats, you're not racing on pavement, you're racing on salt. It's not even like a firm surface you're racing on, but they race on it because it's the biggest, widest, most open space you can get that's relatively flat. And um, I think the guys who do land speed racing, uh, are absolutely insane, by the way, absolutely bonkers. But here, I, I do want to play a sound clip for you. Um, this is a sound clip from a 1964 film uh, documentary that was made about one of Craig Breedlove's uh, runs that he did. Uh, really, um, it's a it's a really fascinating documentary. I would encourage that you watch it. It is available on YouTube. And uh, the uh, film, it's a 1964 film, and it's called The Wildest Ride. And uh, it documents kind of firsthand everything uh, Breedlove was doing and uh, documents a number of his runs. So here's a sound clip from from the film. Check this out.
1: And today, Craig is confident he will regain the land speed record. It's 9.43 a.m., and this is his eighth run.
0: What did I tell you? An airplane without wings. If I played that clip for you and didn't tell you that it was a car, you would have said it's just a jet. It's just a jet flying by. That's all. That's all we. That's all I just heard. Yeah, that's because the car Craig drove was just a jet that didn't fly. I mean, I mean, come on. That's again the ingenuity. I mean, to think too. Like again, you you have a normal job. You're a firefighter doing that. That's a pretty high adrenaline intense job. And and you you come along and say that's that's too boring and I'm gonna build a rocket car and I'm gonna race it and he did this from from scratch it's not like anyone else did this before which is um, all that more impressive in my opinion that he just this is he embodies in my opinion the American spirit just the dude who said I'm gonna be the fastest man in the world and then he did it I mean come on he, big respect to him. It's a tragedy that he passed away, but man, what a life did that guy live. Just saying. He he wasn't short on life, that's for sure. Now, hey, coming up, we're going to talk about how you can prevent your car from getting stolen. That's next.
1: Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve, turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro, we'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. More information is available on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page facebook.com slash automotive adhd
0: prop 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 oh that that could only be a rotary uh, yep uh, by the way if you guess that was a rotary um, then you would be uh, absolutely correct that's adam green's fd rx7 just just making the great broppy noises <laughs> oh i love it i love it too cool too cool uh adam by the way um it sent that car sound in and you can share your car sounds uh on the show i play them right here on the radio on the podcast on the YouTube and Rumble, all of the places that this show happens. And uh, it's really fun. Tell your friends, hey, my car was on the show. And they'll look at you blankly and go, oh, okay, what show? And then you tell them what show, and they can go listen to it. Really cool stuff. So we got—we definitely got to talk um, a little bit about car theft and how car theft uh, is on the rise, is categorically on the rise, and uh, what you can do to prevent perhaps car theft in your own life. And what can you do to prevent it? Well, there's there's a few things you can do. Obviously, having a car that doesn't run and is incapable of moving is one easy way to prevent car theft. In fact, that was my recommendation at the end of last week's show. But I realized that was a little bit lacking and that I want to provide you with a little bit more rele- relevant advice. So, um, obviously, modern cars have... Um, even cars as recent as my S2000. It's a 2001 S2000. Um, It has a transponder key, and I explained last week how that works and what that does. But that doesn't mean it's incapable of being stolen. That just makes it harder to steal. Um, Likewise, even more modern cars with keyless start, same idea. They're going to be very difficult to steal. They're going to be more difficult to bypass the keyless entry and try to, you know, hotwire, quote unquote, the car. Um, That doesn't mean it can't be stolen. That doesn't mean that thieves also haven't learned how to use radio. Um, transponders and spoof your key. you know, hide out, wait for you to activate your key or something and spoof that signal and then use it on their end and start your car. Uh, either that or thieves also just break into your house and get your key and then go start your car that that that's plenty. That happens a lot too. So what you can do, obviously, you know, a lot of people like the old club, the steering wheel club. You've probably seen these things. They've been around for a couple of decades. And that's a lock that goes on your steering wheel and makes it impossible to turn the steering wheel any more than a few inches because it's this big lock that goes in the wheel. And then it's got a big bar that you wedge down by the seat or the floorboard somewhere. Um, That's one option. The problem is the clubs really aren't that theft proof. Um, You can just look this up yourself on the internet how to bypass a steering wheel club. There's a number of things you can do to bypass it. And there's a number of people showing YouTube videos of them doing so in less than like two minutes. That's not really, it's a theft deterrent, but it's not a very good one because obviously you can drill out the lock cylinder in it. Problem solved. A lot of thieves these days are carrying around angle grinders, battery powered angle grinders, and just cut it off or they'll just cut the steering wheel. They'll just cut notches in the steering wheel so they can take the club out of the wheel and toss it to the side. Um, which is uh which you know i mean granted they're stealing the whole car they're probably not that worried about a couple of gaps in the steering wheel now they can still drive the car even with the steering wheel cut up a little bit they're thieves it's not their car why is it their problem they don't care because they're thieves they don't care about damaging it um so the club is not something i would advise what i would advise are Uh, is a passive means of preventing car theft and an active means of preventing car theft. The first one, um, obviously, if you have older cars, um, this, this applies to new and old cars. But the classic parking boot, if you've ever gotten in trouble for not paying parking tickets and found one of these on your car, you know what I'm talking about. What a lot of people don't realize, those big yellow boots, they clamp around your wheel and they clamp over the lug nuts so you can't just take the wheel off. Um, those are readily available. Just because your city uses them to enforce parking violations doesn't mean you can't buy them. They are readily available. And um, I think they, uh, they're they not even that expensive. I bought one for my uh, 25-foot car hauler and slapped it on there. I think it was like 100 bucks. It really isn't that bad. Now, again, I did say thieves are armed with angle grinders these days and are willing to damage your property in the sake of stealing it. But cutting one of those boots off is a pain. It's not just going to be a couple of quick cuts and it's gone. It's going to take a couple minutes of grinding at it and trying to pry at it and do some other stuff to free the wheel from the, um, from the boot. And also these boots are typically designed to be, with the notion that they're going to be hard to cut. They're used, they use pretty stout steel, pretty stout shape. Um, and it's going to take a while to do it and it's going to create a lot of noise doing it. It's going to be really obvious. So a thief is not going to want to, um, steal your car, um, if it is going to be hazardous in any way to them, or if there's a high probability that they will definitely get caught, um, a thief wants to minimize their exposure to getting caught. They want to minimize how long it takes for them to steal something, um, because if they can get in, get out, no one sees them, no problem. If they're sitting there grinding away at a boot for five, 10 minutes, somebody's going to notice. Somebody's going to call the cops. Um, so that's definitely, I think, a good tool. Now, the downside to the boot is it's clunky, it's heavy, um, and it's annoying to take on and off of your car every single time you park. It's more or less something you put on your car if you are parking it for a period of time, or at least you're at home doing. You're not running into the grocery store and putting a boot on your car. So that's where um, I also talk about some passive stuff. And the passive stuff is, in my opinion, not necessarily preventing the theft of the car, but it is making it easier to recover the car after it's been stolen. Something I should have had in my AMC, which is um, GPS trackers. So GPS trackers are great tools. And in fact, I bought several. I bought five of them. After the uh, AMC was stolen, I went all out. I just, I loaded them up on online and just bought as many as I could. Um, and typically they're not very expensive. Um, now we should also clarify the difference between GPS trackers and Apple AirTags. Apple AirTags are very popular. Also the little tile, you know, trackers too, the non-Apple branded ones, really popular. So the way Apple AirTags work, Apple AirTags communicate with nearby cell phones, cell phones around them, okay? That's what they do. And when they do that, they ping to other cell phones. Whether or not they're registered to that phone is irrelevant. They ping to that other iPhone, then that iPhone connects to the network and shares the location of that AirTag. That's what they do. They're short range, they don't have any GPS built into them. So the downside here is um, twofold one being that they rely on other people's cell phones. So you're going to assume that wherever your car is, if it's stolen, that wherever it's stolen is in range of an iPhone. Uh, which may not always be the case. you're gonna assume that maybe that thief has an iPhone at the very least may not be the case they might be an Android user if they are, you're screwed. Um, so um you're also relying on the fact that um that the thief's not gonna find the air tag because air tags have a feature that um, is used to prevent stalking. it's to prevent stalkers from you know sticking somebody's car with an air tag and then seeing following them home um, because if you're, in the vicinity of an unfamiliar AirTag, one that's not registered to your phone for long enough, your phone will tell you, hey, there's an AirTag nearby, and this might be someone trying to stalk you. Your phone will tell you that. iPhones are designed to do that. So that's a problem, because if my car's being stolen, thief's driving around in it, and he gets a ping on his iPhone, so he does have an iPhone, and he's not an uh, irreprehensible uh, you know, a scumbag who would use an Android phone. Um, (laughs) I just, I just, someone's going to be offended at that. Uh, but he's going to get a notification. Ah, there's an air tag in the car. So then he's going to go start looking for it and you can hide it really well, but he is now going to be on the lookout for that air tag. Um, in fact, there was recently a gentleman who confronted a thief who got into a shootout with a thief. Um, he was tracking the car with an air tag. The thief hadn't found out yet. The gentleman went to go retrieve his car and got into a gunfight. With the thief, Uh, apparently, allegedly, they might have both had guns, but that's neither here nor there. Um, The fact is, I don't want the thief to know that I'm tracking him. I don't want him to know that. So the GPS tracker is a clear advantage. So dedicated GPS trackers, the ones I bought, um, there's a number of brands out there. The ones I bought, uh, I bought because uh, they're from a company called SpyTech. It's not an endorsement, not an ad for them, by the way. But they're from a company called SpyTech, which I think is just rebranded to a company called Happen, H-A-P-N, And I got them on discount on sale because the trackers are the same, but they were going to, I guess they were bought out and now they're going to put new logos on all the new trackers that are sold. So I, I got them for a pretty good discount and they're, um, they're, they were relatively cheap. And what was important to them or important to me with them was that they didn't rely on the car's OBD2 port, lots of GPS trackers. They plug into the OBD2 port on the car, the diagnostic port. That's great. Because you can, it gets power off of that. You don't have to do any wiring. You can monitor the stats of the car: has it been started? Is it running? What you can, you can do these different things. I don't want that though, because a, a thief's gonna check the OBD2 port. That's like the first place he's checking if he stole a car, and he's uh, suspecting a, a, a thief might just check a car for trackers anyway. So he's gonna check the OBD2 port, um, and then he's gonna unplug it. Uh, secondly, most of my cars are too old to have OBD2 ports. Uh, the Tacoma and the S2000 have OBD2. That's uh, I'm thinking in my head. Yeah, that's that's it. That's that that that's literally it. All the other ones don't. They're too old for that. So I was looking for a dedicated tracker that had you could hardwire it into the car, but it also had its own internal battery. So what I've done, and I won't say where here on the air, that would be a <laughs> that would be a bad decision because then you'll know. Then someone listening to this will know where they are. But I have hidden the trackers underneath certain areas of the car. Um, that are not easily accessible nor because they require tools to disassemble them and the thief wouldn't think to look there. And then I've hardwired them with the hardwire kits that you buy with them directly into the basically non-switch power. So they're always being powered. They don't draw much from the battery. Maybe if you park the car for a month without starting it, then it would become a problem. But they basically have power all the time. But here's the thing. These trackers also contain their own batteries. So heaven forbid, the thief disconnects the battery or the battery runs down for whatever reason. These things will run for about two weeks by themselves, completely disconnected from power, which is really good because, again, they're in a place where the thief's not going to find them. He would have to take the car apart to find them. Uh, now, granted, some chop shops and some people some people steal cars to chop them up and sell parts from. That's not really relevant when you have some of the cars I have. If you have a, a, a desirable car for that, um, you might want to get really careful about where you put it, but also you'll at least have the location of the car before they took it apart. So uh, regardless, most most cars, by the way, are stolen to commit other crimes with. Um, we're not so much seeing nowadays, at least, cars being stolen, taken to a shop, chop, shop, and sold for parts immediately, being chopped down in like three hours and sold for parts. Uh, you're not really seeing that happens, but it's not the primary reason cars are stolen these days. So that's not a primary concern of mine either necessarily. So, Um, The GPS trackers I also purchased, they they appealed to me because they had a couple of features. One was they actually use real GPS, communicate to satellites. But two is that they uh, also communicate via cellular networks. There's a backup. If it can't connect to the satellite, it's going to communicate via cellular. If it can't communicate via cellular, it's also going to use the GPS. It's a very accurate way to do it, and it provides redundancy because the car might be stolen in a place where there's no cell service. So an Apple AirTag would be useless anyway, even if the thief had an iPhone and there was no cell service. Apple AirTag's pointless at that point. So, But this, the GPS tracker would use the GPS in that case. Um, So I like that. Works well. That is, again, it's not so much a... It's not a theft deterrent, it's a damage control measure after a theft has occurred. Another couple of things you could do um, I think that would make sense by the oh and before I get into that. One thing you should know about all pretty much all of the GPS trackers on the market is they all tend to have a subscription service and most of them, as I found, have a subscription service per tracker. So say I buy five trackers and I have one account. It's not one subscription for that one account, and then I can have as many trackers as I want. They all typically have a subscription service um, anywhere from 10 to 30 bucks a month, depending on who you go with, Um, and uh, they all do that. And most of them are going to be per tracker. But look at it this way. If you have several cars and you have those cars insured, just think about, just budget for that. Think about adding that extra cost as just, you know, including an extra 25 bucks for, say, one tracker, just a hypothetical amount, Um, you know, say it's that amount. And you have that for one car. Just consider your insurance on that car to be that much more expensive every month, and just consider it an insurance thing. And also, by the way, you do get uh, many insurance companies offer discounts if you have trackers. You can um, go to your coverage and update it. Tell them, hey, this car's got active GPS tracking now, um, and it's not just an air tag. Um, and they'll usually um, they'll usually discount your insurance. So they might your your insurance might actually get discounted by the amount of however much that tracker is every month. So it could be a net zero addition to you. There's something to think about, something to think about. Uh, A couple other things you can do. Uh, One thing I like about my 86, I have a detachable steering wheel hub. It's for racing. It's for motorsports. It's not, you know, for anti-theft purposes. But it's one thing I've started doing, driving the 86 around. If I stop somewhere, if I stop at a grocery store, I just popped that wheel off and I looked like a complete weirdo walking around the grocery store with the steering wheel, but I don't care because I know whoever breaks into the car to steal it is not going to be driving away without that steering wheel. And even if they get some channel locks on that, you know, that steering wheel nut or whatever and try to drive it, they're not going to be doing that very quickly. I'll probably come back out and find them doing it and then they'll have a bad day if that happens. So um, regardless, those are some of my thoughts on that. You can also do different things like, uh, especially with older cars, you can disconnect your ignition coil. You can wire a kill switch. A kill switch is good. Just know with kill switches, um, the thief was, if he's having trouble and he's dedicated to stealing something, he might find your kill switch. So I wouldn't rely on that solely. Um, But disconnecting your ignition coil, uh, things I've done in the past is just, again, you, you look like a paranoid person doing this, but it also gives you a little bit of peace of mind. Maybe if you're parking in a bad part of town, you're going to, I don't know, a, a concert or something on a sketchy part of whatever you're doing. You just pop that hood open, grab your fuel pump relay, put it in your pocket, then go carry about your day. And um, just know that if that car's getting stolen, it's going to have to be towed out of there. Unless the thieves happen to have a fuel pump relay for your exact car. They won't. Most of these crimes are crimes of opportunity, by the way. So a lot of times... Um, lot of times it's not going to be it's not going to be something that happens again remember thieves steal cars that are easy to steal that are quick to steal thieves don't want to get caught stealing cars because then they can't steal cars anymore uh, if they get caught and um thieves typically are stealing these cars to commit other crimes with those are things in my research especially after researching for last week's show that's really what i've found to be the case so with all of those things in mind yeah gps tracker i think that's a must if you have any car, for the price of these trackers, they're cheap. The subscription every month is cheap. If you can afford a car, you can probably afford the tracker and the subscription on it, at least one of them. And that's at least a, it's a proactive measure that will help you after the fact. Also, these trackers, um, many of them have uh, settings where you can set boundaries and you'll even get pinged a notification on your phone. If suddenly the tracker leaves that boundary, you can then go say, hey, my car's being stolen. Go out, check on it, see for sure if it actually is but there's, there's a lot of benefit to, uh, to doing that. So, um, or I'll, I I can, I can, you know, give you the same advice I did last week. Just have, just have crap cars that don't run. That too. Easiest, the easiest and cheapest solution is, um, just have stuff that doesn't run. So I, I, <laughs> that would be the, uh, that would indeed be the, ultimate way to make sure nothing happens so anyway there you go now hey thank you for listening to this show right here on 91.7 klz our voice of the wet mountain valley thank you for listening on youtube rumble spotify remember to give it a rating and subscribe to the show uh and of course you can find this show wherever find shows and i don't know this one are downloaded and i'll see you right here same time same place next week when we talk more cards that's right here